you know, I made an interesting observation. I was watching them sing up there. Do you know that every single one of them is in my Sunday school class, except for Henry? So Henry, you need to come to my Sunday school class, and I'll just, then I can say all of you are there. But don't they do a great job every week? Listen, I'm going to come down on the floor. I'm, I don't need to be put up on a pedestal, and I feel very odd up here. So this thing's coming. Oh, it's heavier than I thought. You want to help me with this? Well, it's got water. That's what it was. Here, we'll get your guitar first. There we go. We're going down on the floor. Come on, Mike. Well, there's no better place than church to fall down. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Well, I had a great day right up until 5.45 this evening. I was on my way to Zaxby's to have my dinner and feel very good to come and teach to you tonight. And Michelle bought me this dog for Christmas, and he is a cutie. If I could show you pictures, I've showed my Sunday school class. I'm so proud of him. He's half lab. His mother is Labradoodle, and his father is half Lab and half Husky. And he is a gorgeous marked dog, and just sweet as all. Well, anyway, the neighbors ran over him at 5:45, and so he's with Mark Brandon right now. And I carried him in, and I know he's got a broken jaw and some broken ribs, and so you know if I'm short tonight and not at my best. Uh, if all of you have a dog, you understand where I'm at. But uh, it's ironic that I had written down about Beckett. If those of you know me very long, I, I, my best sermon I've ever preached, in my opinion, here is the six things I've learned about God from my dogs. And James, I know you remember that because uh, he and I both had a dog by the name of Buddy that we both missed terribly. How many of you guys too had a dog yeah, named Buddy? I have two buddies growing up. Good. Good. But tonight I was going to use him for an example, and I still will. But we're going to, t- we're going to talk about prayer tonight. And uh, the reason I want to talk to you about prayer is because I'm so terrible at it. Um, I'm a results-oriented person, and I'm a very busy person, and I don't take the time to pray as I know the Word of God teaches us to do. Um, And I need to take prayer as a do list. I need to take prayer as something that I do first and foremost. And uh, I would be lying to you if I stood up here and said that it is a absolute priority in my life. I know that it is intellectually. um, But days can rule my life to the point where prayer can take a back seat. And I want to examine Jesus' prayer tonight in John chapter 17 because I looked at it and I found 15 interesting things as I examined it. And you might think, oh, Lord, Todd, you can't have 15 points. Uh, I'm not going to elaborate on all those points. Those points are well said already by our Lord Jesus as we look at it tonight. But I just want to give you an, uh, an update of where we're going and what we're going to do tonight. But I want to read to you a story about prayer as I was studying for this. And... Uh, for those of you over here in my class and the, the young ones over here, you won't even understand what this girl did, but uh, ask, ask Terry and she'll straighten it out. She'll tell you what, what, what this lady did. But in 1987, Vera Reeder of Fort Worth, Texas, received an amazing get well card from her six-year-old granddaughter. Her name was Melissa. 
who also lived in Fort Worth at the same time. And Reader was under the weather, so little Melissa made her a card that read, Dear Nana, I hope you fell better. She spelled it, I hope you F-E-L-B-E-T-E-R. Once she completed the card, Melissa asked her mother how to spell Watson, and then later asked for a stamp. And Carrie Reader, the mother, was busy doing her housework, and she figured her daughter was just doing one of her little projects. And when she asked for a stamp, Melissa's mom directed her to some S&H green stamps. Do y'all know what S&H green stamps are? Raise your hand over there, young crew, if you know what S&H green stamps are. Like I said, see Terry, she'll tell you. Not to, not to say that you're old. Okay, I'm just saying, you know. Anybody else there know what S&H green stamps are? Okay. All right. So see, you come to church, you learn things. Yeah. Yeah. So... Gave her an S&H green stamp. The next day, Melissa's Nana found an envelope in her mailbox that was simply addressed Nana, 1712 Watson, and the seven was printed backwards. The only return address was Melissa. Fort Worth, Texas. I lived in Fort Worth, Texas in 1987. That's what got me to, to really look at this story. Her green stamp had been postmarked by the post office and it was delivered like a regular piece of mail. The anonymous heroine at the post office remained a mystery, but the postal service employees were very proud of their employees' extra effort with Melissa's letter. Prayer. Prayer can be a lot like Melissa's letter. It doesn't have to be letter perfect for God to receive it. It just needs to be delivered from the heart. And the prayer that we're going to examine tonight, this evening, it's delivered in much the same way that this girl sent this letter to her grandmother or her nana. It's delivered through the Apostle John, through the translators, to the publishers, to us here today. And this prayer has 15 amazing things in it that I've found out, and you may find more. But if you'll open your Bibles to John chapter 17, a very familiar passage that most of us have read. But I'd love for you to stand, if you can, if you're able, in honor of God's Word. And we're going to read all of the 20-some verses here. And then I'll let you sit down, and then I'll wear you out, okay? Here we go. After Jesus said this, I have to stop here. After Jesus said what? After Jesus said this, it says in chapter 17. Well, you have to look back three chapters earlier to chapter 14, so back up with me. In John chapter 14, Jesus talks about comforting his disciples. And he speaks to him in verses 5, beginning in verse 5, about how Jesus, he, is the way to the Father in heaven. And then in verse 15, he begins to talk about the Holy Spirit that he promises will be coming to replace him. Keep turning the page if your Bible's like mine. And in John chapter 15, he tells the story that uh, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He that abides in me and abides in him will bear much fruit. And then he goes and warns them in chapter, in, in chapter 15, verse 18, that the world is going to hate you. And then in chapter 16, he begins to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit and how the disciples' grief is going to turn to joy. 
And at the end of chapter 16, he says in verse 33, I've told you these things so that in me you'll have peace. In this world, you're going to have trouble. Your dog's going to get run over. In this world, you're going to have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So after Jesus had said all these things that I've summarized here, he looked upward to heaven, which in that time was a way of acknowledging God and looking up to God. It was very appropriate. We bow, but he looked up, and the people of that time, when they looked, were looking to God, that's what he did. He looked up and he says, Father, the time's come. Glorify your Son, so that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have, bought you, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in the presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they've obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I have given the words you gave me, and they've accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. And I prayed for them, and I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of this world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be sanctified. And my prayer is not for them alone. I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you and me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given to me to be where I am and to see my glory, the glory that you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. 
and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Heavenly Father, bless the reading of your word. And as we study it now, may we come to a greater understanding of your plan, your will, your love, and your grace. In Jesus' holy name we pray these things. Amen. You can be seated. Thanks for hanging in there with me. So I hope you picked up a sheet. Did everybody pick up a sheet back there? Mike's been real good to have sheets for you every week. And so I've got a sheet right back there at the back. And uh, we've also got PowerPoint, but the PowerPoint doesn't go and give the scriptures along. But I want just to see, first of all, what the theologian Joseph Benson said about this passage. And when I read it, I thought, boy, I'm gonna, I understand this better and better the more I, I research this passage. Joseph Benson, a man much more intelligent than me, said he called this chapter our Lord's intercessory prayer because it is considered a pattern of the intercession that he is now making in heaven for his people. I'll read that again. He thinks it's, a, it's the Lord's intercessory prayer because it is the pattern, he believes, of the intercession that he is now making in heaven for his people. So what does the father give the son in this passage? We have to look at it in three different ways. We're going to look at what the father gives the son, what the son gives his followers, and what the son asks of the father. And all of them are in sync and are related, and it's a pretty amazing piece. Jesus never wasted a word. He never wasted a hurt. He never wasted an event. Every single word, whether it was a one or two or a three or a 20 letter word, it's important. So what does the father give the son because of his prayer? One, and not only because of his prayer, but because of his plan. The first thing is he gave him authority to grant eternal life. He gave his son the authority to grant eternal life. Look at verse two. He says, for you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you've given him. We serve a savior who was given authority. And our job that we're supposed to do also has a lot with his authority. If you look at Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, what does it say? All authority in heaven and in earth has been given to me. He has the authority to grant eternal life to people. What are we supposed to do in return? Because of that authority, he tells us to go and make disciples. He didn't say go to church. He said go and make disciples and worship me. But go and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you, and I'll be with you always. It's a pretty amazing thing. He has the authority to grant eternal life, and he has the authority to tell us what to do. Not only does he give the Son authority, he gives followers. He gave Jesus followers out of this world. In verses 6, 9, and 24, we'll look at that. Look at verse 6 in your Bible. I revealed you to all those who you gave me out of the world. There's a lot of people 
that have followers in this world. There's musicians, there's authors, there's, there's celebrities, there's actors, there's all these people that have followers. There's preachers that have followers. And I just learned yesterday of a, of a, of a great preacher that the world thought was a great preacher has now been absolutely, his reputation is shot because he lived a double life. There's a lot of people that will naturally follow strong leader, strong, talented people. But the only one who deserves following in this world, in this life, is Jesus. The Father granted Jesus followers out of this world. Look at verse 9. I pray for them. This is, a, this is a man who has followers, but he prays for them. And I'm not praying for the world, but for those who have given me, that you have given me, for they are yours. And in verse 24, he says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory that you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. There's so much here in verse 24. But here, remember celebrities, false leaders, people that have selfish ambitions, how many of them want their followers in their house? How many? When's the last time a celebrity invited you to their house? What did Jesus say? Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and see my glory the glory that you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world, before we were created. Not only does he give him authority and followers, he gives him work to accomplish in this world. He says in verse 4, I've brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Jesus completed the work that he gave him to do. And to so many people looking on the outside, it looked like Jesus' life was an unfinished life. He was 33 years and some days old. In the prime of his life, was going to be the king of the Jews. And he's hanging on the cross. But Jesus already knew. He said, I've completed the work you gave me to do. And he poured his life into those 11 disciples. And what did those 11 disciples do? They were obedient to carry on the work. And we're sitting here in an air-conditioned room tonight because of their work that he knew that they would accomplish because he invited them to be with them and we're still with him and we will be with him later on. He gave him authority, followers out of the world, uh, followers out of the world work to accomplish in the world and he gave him words to proclaim to the world. Look at verse 8. For I gave them the words you gave me. Jesus wasn't son, he just did what his father told him to do. I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. So I was a 16-year-old. I went to Branson, Missouri for Young Christians Weekend. I just accepted Jesus into my life, and I heard one of the most amazing songs that I'd ever heard and it wasn't rock and roll. I was into rock and roll. I, I loved rock and roll. But I heard this song that said, 
God gave his son, they called him Jesus. Now, we all know that song. What's the name of that song? You can hear it in your head. Keep going. Because he lives. Bill, Bill and Gloria Gaither and Gloria had more uh, work in it than, than William did. But in the, the early 80s, God gave Bill and Gloria Gaither the words to a song that our generation knows so well. Now look back at the verse here. Verse 8. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. God gave his son. They called him Jesus. He came to heal, forgive. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Though that song is the, is the gospel. It's the truth, and it's why so many people cry when they hear that song. Because of the struggles that we go through, because he lives, we can face tomorrow. It's right out of verse 8. For they believed that you sent me. The Father gave also the Son his name. Look at verses 11 and 12. He said, I'll remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. How many times did Jesus say, so that they may be one? We still haven't got there yet. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name that you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed for destruction so that the scripture would be fulfilled. He gave him authority, followers, work, words, his name, and finally he gave him his glory. Look at verses 22 and 24. He says, I've given them glory that you gave, the glory that you gave me that they may be as one as we are one. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me first. So that's what the Father gives the Son in this passage. And because of that, the Son gives the followers the following things, eternal life. You grant him authority over all people that they might give eternal life to all those you've given him. So Beckett's my dog. I got him at Christmas, and he was so short he could fit between my elbow and my wrist. And he fell asleep as I was petting him. And someday Beckett's going to die. I hope it's not now. But he's going to have life. He has life, and that life will end. There's a big difference between life and eternal life. Big difference. Now, I, I don't know if dogs go to heaven. I've heard that. I've never seen any scripture to support that. But here's what I choose to believe. God made this earth and made animals. He made dogs to be a man's best friend. 
Whether he has dogs in heaven for me or not, I'm going to trust him for whatever's in heaven because it's better than here. It might be a better thing than a dog. I don't know. I also know that the scripture teaches me that we are made in his image. Dogs aren't. We have a relationship that dogs don't have. There's a big difference between the life of a dog and the life of you and me. There's a big difference between a life of a dog and someone who is alive, who is a person and doesn't know Jesus. It's a big difference. So the son gives his followers eternal life. He's granted him authority to grant it to us. Not only eternal life, but the son gives his followers the word of the father. In verses 8 and 14, he says, I gave them the words you gave me. Straight from the mouth of God, Jesus gave us his words. And we have the opportunity to accept them. And if you've accepted them, you're able to do works that you could not do in and of yourself. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me and I've given them your word and the world has hated them for they're not of the world anymore than I am of the world. The son also gives his followers the manifestation of the father. In verses 6 and 26, he says, I've revealed you to those whom you gave out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they've obeyed your word. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. No man, no celebrity, no leader, no anybody will ever desire this for you but Jesus. The Father gave the Son these things to give to us. He also gave us the glory of the Father. He says, I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as you are one. But then turn the page. The son asked the father of some things. Have you ever asked your daddy of anything? I'm a father of five kids and 12 grandkids now. Kids don't have any problem asking something from daddy or grandpa. I really learned that. They don't have a problem with it at all. Well, the son asks the father something here too. The son asks the father to glorify him in verses 1 and 5. Remember back where we started in verse 1, after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and he prayed. He said, Father, the hours come. And he knew what was coming. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I wish Christians would glorify God more than we do. I wish I would glorify my Heavenly Father and His Son more than I do. The Son asked the Father to keep His followers in His name. He says, protect them. In verse 11, protect them by the power of your name, the name you also gave me. He also asked them to keep his followers from the evil one. Oh, how glad I am. John 10.10 says what? Come on, class, I've told you a million times. What's John 10.10 say? Dave, you you can tell them. 
Yeah, I'm not an English major, but what is the word only? Is it a pronoun? What is it? The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. He doesn't come to become famous. He doesn't come to, to, to uh, uh, make, a, make you miserable or any of those things. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And Jesus knows it. That's why he says here, my prayer is that they, that you take them out of the, is the, my prayer is that not that you don't take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Jesus is praying this prayer for us all the time. That's why he provides an escape for us when we're tempted. That's why he tells us that, that I'm not going to load you up more than you can bear. If you're following me and you're surrendered to me, there I'm not going to overload you more than you can bear. I'll provide a way of escape from you. He protects us from the evil one. He also asks the Father to guide his followers by his truth. Anybody ever seen a compass? What's the truth in a compass? What's truth in a compass? Huh? North. True north. True north. to guide his followers by his truth. He says in verse 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. When you're lost, you need a compass and you need to find true north so that you can find your bearings. When you're lost, you got to find the truth. You got to find the word of truth to lead you back, to lead you forward, to lead you home. Your word is truth. Sanctify them. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And lastly, the son asked the father to unify his followers for his glory. That all, not some, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you and I, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Well, there's a big thing going on, cancel culture, Black Lives Matter. There's all kinds of things going on. I'm probably going to get fired because they're going to take it the wrong way if it gets out over Facebook and all those other things. What I'm trying to tell you is this. The church needs to become one. Look around. You see any other nationalities in here tonight? We're more comfortable in who we are instead of who Jesus is. We're far more comfortable in who we are than who Jesus is. We all seem to bleed red when we're cut. But we worry about this skin thing. One of the best days this church has ever had, in my opinion, my humble opinion, it's not anymore two cents, here's my cent worth is when the black church came in here and we did a co-worship together. Randy Ramey's church brought some life into this place. Now let's read it again. That all of them, blacks, whites, Indians, Cubans, Hispanics, that all of them may be one. 
Father, just as you are in me and I'm in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. The world's never going to believe in Jesus until they see it in us. I never went to church. I never went, I never opened the doors into church until I saw it in somebody else. And those girls came into my trailer house and said, you're coming to church with me this morning. And they threw, the, my, got in my closet, threw the, threw the clothes on the bed, said, put those on, we're waiting outside for you. Now, guys, you're an idiot if you don't go. When four pretty girls show up in your house, go into your bedroom and said, you're going to church with us, go in your closet, get the clothes and throw them on the bed. I would have been a fool to have not done that. I married one of them. I married one of them. So that the world may believe that you sent me, they have to be in with Jesus and the Father. So look at the quote by John Perkins here. Jesus' prayer in John 17 made it clear that his heart's desire is that we are one just as he and the Father are one. He said it over and over and over again so dummies like me would get it. His will is for one church that crosses ethnic, cultural, and class lines and is focused on bringing him glory until he returns to redeem his bride. This picture of the church is what must fuel our prayers. So our country's in a mess. And so is Great Britain. Country that started it all and brought us all over here. And you know what? What's the one thing that's the biggest problem? Systematic racism. I think it's far beyond that. I think it's the church has refused to submit and be the church. When the church begins to do what Jesus prayed for us to do here, the world will see and believe that he sent Jesus, his son. And God gave his son, and they called him Jesus. He come to heal, forgive, and what is the other word? Huh? Keep going, what? Heal, love, and forgive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Jesus' pattern in prayer is this. Prayer is acknowledging God's gift to us, and prayer is asking for God's gifts to others. Now I'm going to finish with a story. Anybody know who Tony Campolo is? Do you know how old Tony Campello, Campello is? He's 86 years old now. He was a, a Christian a sociologist, professor at a university, an advisor to a few of our presidents. And uh, I want to live, I want to tell you a day in the life of Tony Campolo, okay? Here we go. Let's see if I can find it. I have it somewhere here. Oh, here it is. This is, a, this is a true amazing story that I have to share with you tonight. One day, Tony was invited to speak at a Pentecostal college near his hometown. And when he arrived for the chapel service, he was escorted to a back room where eight men laid their hands on him and began to pray. Now, have you ever been to a Pentecostal church or a Pentecostal... Okay, 
All right, so what was going on back there with those eight men laying hands on him? Can you just imagine? Can you just imagine? Okay, you got the picture. Escort him to a back room where eight men laid their hands on him and began to pray. Campolo said he was very appreciative of the heartfelt prayers. But one guy spent a long time praying about something that had nothing to do with the chapel service. The longer he prayed, the more the others grew weary and leaned more heavily on Tony. He prayed on and on about a friend of his name, of his name Charlie. He said, God, you know Charlie. He lives in that silver trailer down the road about a mile from here. You know the trailer, Lord, just down the road on the right-hand side. And Tony was thinking, knock it off, fella. Does God really need to hear that address one more time? You think he doesn't know? Remind him of where that is? He went on. Lord, Charlie told me this morning he's decided to leave his wife and three kids. He's going to walk out on his family. Lord, step in, do something, and bring that family together again. Campolo said the guy just kept praying earnestly for his friend Charlie, kept reiterating the fact that he was leaving his wife and three kids, and that he lived in that silver trailer just down the road on the right-hand side. Meanwhile, the others kept leaning more heavily on Campolo's head, and he was just waiting for the lengthy prayer to end. Finally, it was over, and he went to preach in the... He went in to preach that chapel service. And afterwards, he got into his car and he started heading home. Soon thereafter, he saw a hitchhiker and he pulled over to give him a ride. As they pulled back on the road, Campello introduced himself and the hitchhiker said his name was Charlie. Campello's heart began to race and he took the next exit off of the turnpike. The hitchhiker asked him, why are you exiting? And Campello said, because you just left your wife and three children, right? Charlie's eyes got real big, and he said, uh, yeah. He leaned closer to the door, and he never took his eyes off of Tony. Then things got real strange when Campello drove right into his silver trailer. In complete amazement, Charlie asked, how'd you know I live here? Campolo replied, God told me. He then ordered Charlie to get in the trailer, and Charlie hurried over to the door. His wife came out, swung the door open, and shouted, you're back. You've come back. Charlie then began whispering in her ear, and her eyes got bigger and bigger. Campolo came up to the porch and said, Go in and let's sit down. I'm going to talk to the two of you, and you're going to listen. It was, was the most captive audience he had ever addressed. And that afternoon, those two people were led to Jesus Christ. And today, Charlie is a preacher of the gospel. Prayers aren't always answered that dramatically, but then again, they aren't always prayed that fervently. I don't know what you've got to pray fervently about. But after looking at John chapter 17, I begin to understand what God's desire is for you and me. And we fall short. We've fallen so short. And I know COVID's a tough time, but we're just about through it. We're just about through it. I would encourage you this week to pray fervently about where your personal ministry is. What's God allowed you to stay here for? What's God allowed you to survive COVID to do? Because the Father gave the Son something to do. And Jesus said in verse 4, I brought you 
you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. I hope that I can say that. I hope that one day I can say, Father, I brought you glory on this earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And only you can answer that yourself too. Some of you are widows in here. God's allowed you to live more days. What's he left you here for? You young bucks, you got a long way to go if everything goes right. You got more years than I do. Pray fervently for the Charlies of the world. There were four girls that were praying for me. And I stand here today as a result of those fervent prayers. This is serious business if you're alive tonight. This is serious business. And you're not here on Wednesday night unless you really, truly love God and are devoted to Him. But I must encourage you, it's more than just obedience to go to church. It's praying for the Charlies of the world and praying so fervently that that God would change them. You can do more by praying for them than you can even do by saying anything to them sometimes. But when we pray, God gives us direction. God gives us courage and boldness to do what we couldn't do in and of ourselves. And he gives us the words to say that we don't even know how to say. So let's stand. We'll be dismissed. I appreciate you coming tonight. I'm going to go check on my dog, okay? Let's stand. James Sager, would you lead us in prayer tonight, please, as we go?